And where are the best? Well, not in politics, that's for sure. Times have changed, Germanus. Once politics was the only way our young men could climb out of the slums. Let us fight for a world of reason. A world where science and progress will lead to all men's happiness. I mean, if I don't know what you're up to, and if I, if I don't holler and scream when I think you're doing it wrong, and if I just mind my own business and don't vote or care, then I just get what I deserve. In the name of democracy, let us all unite! I'm Dennis Lambert, and I'm running for president. Today, I have a very special guest with me today. It's Sylvia Arthur. She's a friend of mine that we've known each other probably about 10 years or so. Yeah. Uh, Sylvia was active in the Ohio Valley Environmental Coalition and the NAACP in southeastern Ohio and got me active in both, both organizations. And we start off with uh, five questions. First question is, who are you? My name is Sylvia, and um, I'm also known as Corey in some parts of, uh, of the country, in Washington. Um, and uh, let's see, I was born in Brooklyn. I grew up where New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and New York State meet. Um, but I've spent most of my life as an adult in, in Washington State. I lived in a place called Port Townsend, Washington, uh, on the other side of the Puget Sound from Seattle um, for over 20 years. And uh, now I'm back east here in North Carolina. And I like it here. It's a nice small town, which I like. So I'm happy. Yeah, we met in southern Ohio where your uh, mother and father ended up living for yeah. some time. Yes, yes. My, I have a lot of family in Ironton, um, which is another tri-state area. And um, I stayed with my mom for about, about three years um, until she passed away. You, you're the one who got me involved in the Green Party. I got you to run for, and we started a, a Green Party uh, committee here in Lawrence County, the first one in southern Ohio that was in Cincinnati. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it wasn't easy just to do that. So when you talk about politics and being able to run for office, <laughs> there are a lot of barriers. You know, they, didn't, they didn't even really know the rules for having a third party. You know, we've been so entrenched with the, the two main parties. They didn't even know a lot of the rules and uh, how it worked. Second question, are you registered to vote and do you vote? Yes, I am registered to vote, and I do vote. Um, but I think, like a lot of people, it always just feels so superficial um, because there is really not much of a way really easily finding out about the different candidates. There are a few voter, voter programs out there that you could go to to, um, to find out about candidates, but the candidates have to participate in those programs. Otherwise, you know, they don't work. So it's hard to know who to vote for still. Yeah, you know, it, yeah, it's, a, it's a mystery even, game. <laughs> Yeah, even if an organization does try to put up as much information about uh, candidates that are running for office, they never seem to really reach everybody who is actually running for office. Yeah, yeah, because it's really up to the candidates, and they don't want to say anything. They they don't have to. They just rely on, on the media and, yeah, money to get elected. Third question, real quickly, is what are, what are your current politics? Uh, pol my politics. Yeah, I guess my politics are, I guess I would say, 
that I'm definitely, I, I mean, I support, like, there being, like, a mixed economy, you know, where there's private enterprise and there's also government enterprise because capitalism doesn't necessarily provide for all of our needs. You know, it, it, it can't because it's, you know, it has to go for profit. So there are a lot of things in the world that we need that, that you, you can't don't get a profit off of, you know. Um, and those things need to be done, and that's what I think government is for, a big part of what government is for, is to make sure all of the, our human needs are met. I support and uh, uh, a sustainable economy, you know, mm -hmm. one that does not ruin our life support system, and it is uh, we clean up after ourselves and we manage our consumption properly. Yeah, and I think that with a lot of economic justice issues, if those were, if, if economic justice issues were settled, it would probably settle a lot of other problems that we have you know, in terms of inequality amongst men and amongst each other. I think most people are only politically active for personal reasons, um, and there's very few of us who are actually politically active to try and improve everything for everybody. <laughs> well, that's me. Then, then I, we get... That's really a big part of my politics, because if it doesn't work for everybody, then... Who needs it, you know? Yeah. Or, well, you know, and also, and, and the converse is also true, you know, that um, everybody isn't going to do anything. <laughs> so so you need to be able to think about it in both ways. <laughs> Usually we get labeled as being a socialist because we want to help everybody. Right, right. Yeah, I don't, I don't really know. I, I, I don't know what kind of a label I would give myself. Like religion, I tend not to follow a particular political Thing, like socialist or social democrat or, or whatever. Yeah, I don't tend to do that. <laughs> okay, so the fourth question is, what is your religion? I, I was raised a Presbyterian, but I'm not a, I'm not a practicing Christian. I don't go to church and all that stuff. I'm more into just like, I guess you'd call it self-realization is what I do mostly. I have a really good teacher. His name is Muji. I don't know if any other folks have heard of him, but um, he's a wonderful teacher who lives in Portugal. That's basically kind of who I work with or whatever. But um, I'm independent in my politics and independent in my spirituality. Well, generally, uh, you know, one's religion or spirituality is based on their own personal needs. Mm-hmm, yeah. And what I need is more openness and more of an ability to, to serve the public, you know, and to serve and uh, self-realization is helpful for that because it's kind of like you sort of not so dependent upon the ego ego mind, and that really helps to kind of sort of level things out so that you can be more able to see like more than one side to something to be a better judge of situation. I find so that helps a lot because well, uh, people are always kinda... telling me that I'm telling us that we're biased. You know, because of the way the media has been manipulated. You know, it's like everything is, oh, well, that's just your opinion, you know, or, you know, or, you know, you got to look at both sides of the story and all that. And, and it's really easy to get sort of like tied up in knots. <laughs> so a calm mind, having a calm mind really helps. Uh, and the next question, the fifth final question before we get into freeform discussion is uh, what's your passion or occupation? Uh, well, right now I'm retired and uh, my occupation is mostly home-based and I, I love to cook one of my favorite things to do. And I guess politics is still my passion. I guess I think it always will be. It's the thing that I do the most. 
and uh, always probably do. <laughs> I started being a political activist in high school. What did that look like when you when you first started getting politically active? Um, I went to a high school in uh, in Manhattan. It's called Stuyvesant High School of Math and Science, and we that school had always been an all boys school up until about one or two years before I started going there. And so the school had just recently become co-educational. And they didn't really have many facilities for girls and stuff. So um, they basically like took a classroom and they knocked down the wall and that was our gym. Uh, we uh, tried to get you know girls track team going and other things like that. And so we would go to the boys' practice and we'd, run with, uh, we'd practice with the boys which we weren't supposed to do, but that was like our, like our protest to try to get them to make a girls' track team. So even though I couldn't run, like I couldn't, <laughs> I'm not good at running or any of that stuff. I joined the track team anyway, so that um, we would have a girls' track team. That was, so, uh, so I think, mean, it was the first time I ever did any politics. <laughs> to give people some historical perspective, was this before Title Nine? Yeah. When was when was Title Nine? <laughs> I was. Uh, I think 74, 73, where they started uh, expanding, uh, making sure that uh, any uh, any programs in schools that were for boys were also yeah. uh, equal opportunity was given for girls. Yeah, this is this was part of that movement. Yes, because I started um, I started high school there in 1973, and uh, there was a young lady about one or two years before me who was one of the people who brought a suit to the school you know, had, had taken its course to make it possible for, for girls to go. Yeah, it was definitely part of that, um, that whole period. But I, I basically reaped the benefits of other people's hard work. I, I wasn't involved in making it co-ed. <laughs> you are now, once again, politically active doing what now? You're not participating with the Green Party, but you, you are doing your own thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm not participating with the Green Party right now. Um, that that turned out to be a, a not so happy association, mostly because uh, my strongest my strongest interest right now isn't so much in protesting things. There's always something that needs to be protested. Um, I, after after high school, I, I when I went to college, um, some people came to my university from South Africa to talk to us about what was going on there. And I got involved in uh, getting uh, my college to divest from uh, companies that they had invested in that were operating in South Africa. So, um, you know, the divest from South Africa movement, and then I got involved in the anti-nuclear movement. And um, trained, I trained people in nonviolent civil disobedience and did a lot of different actions um, at nuclear power plants in Vermont and New Hampshire. And... Um, did some support work for the Navajo at Big Mountain um, in the 80s, and I also uh, did organizing work in New York City for the um, UN Special Session on Disarmament. We had one of the one of the first million people type marches in 1984 um, when we gathered many many people from all over to come to New York City for that for disarmament. Um, so. And I've been a peacemaker for my church. I did training on peacemaking at my church in New York City. Um, so I've done a lot of done, done a lot of uh, protesting work and organizing work. But I, all along, I've always been thinking to myself about 
But what is the solution to these problems, you know? Because they're not going to go away unless we figure out what the source of the problem is. And a lot of people, there's a lot that you can learn from reading, uh, from reading what other people have to say about the causes of our problems and how and why, you know, we get involved in all these wars and, and why is it that, you know, our, our economic uh, situation is getting worse and worse all the time instead of better, or at least stabilized. I kind of I put most of my energy into thinking about that. And um, when I was in college, I was an environmental studies major, but my specialty was in economics. In high school, as a senior, we had uh, a lot of electives that we could take, and I chose to take environmental studies and economics as two electives. I uh, I didn't really see, know that there was a connection between the two, but I just happened to do that. And by taking those two classes at the same time, I came to realize a lot about why it is that we have so many environmental problems that don't get solved. And it's because, you know, the way our system works, it's not in anybody's interest to solve them. And it would actually be in, in direct conflict with the methods that people use to conduct business these days. I've taken everything that I have learned and uh, I've tried to sort of like put it together. A lot of people don't really understand how economics and uh, ecology go hand in hand. Yeah, yeah, and it's, it, 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 it became, it was really very obvious to me, you know, by taking the two classes at the same time, I could see that, well, if the idea is, you know, to have economic growth all the time, you know, that means that somebody's always going to have to be digging something up or cutting something down and turning it into product, you know, to sell it in order to survive. And, um, and that doesn't make a lot of sense. And also <clears throat> that, you know, taking care of the environment is an extra cost. And if it's a cost to a company, then their, their mandate is to cut costs and to keep them as low as possible. That's why, you know, you end up having to take companies to court and stuff like that in order to get them to stop polluting. Letting the pollution just go into the uh, environment and allowing the whole planet to absorb their junk is in their economic interest, you know. So these days, I'm just, I have a lot of um, notes and writings and things, but what I've set up is a YouTube channel that's kind of like a library, and it, uh, it has different playlists on different subjects, like war and politics on the media and something I call anti-social marketing Yeah, is, um, has a lot to do uh, with uh, the ways that we are manipulated into war, the ways that we are manipulated into uh, believing things that aren't true, basically propaganda. You could call it anti-social marketing. Because social marketing is, uh, is when you do, you do media or advertising in order to help a social problem. You know, like if you're putting out information about food stamps or, or where to go to get, you know, medi medication for illness or whatever, um, you know, and uh, so we use, we use social marketing a lot in the social service field and in the, in the medical field. I decided to call what they're doing on the media these days as anti-social marketing because <laughs> um, it's kind of just opposite. <laughs> Unfortunately, it, it uh, falls to a lot of nonprofit organizations to actually manage uh, 
uh, and explain to uh, the general public what uh, services the government will be able to or is willing to provide to them. Yeah, you know, I, yeah. I, I found that out from my work with the Military Veterans Resource Center that you know a lot of organizations knew what they did well, but they didn't know what everybody else did or what they did well. So I helped to uh, build a coalition of a lot of these organizations, uh, be it the the Red Cross or uh, the VA or Volunteers of America or Goodwill or the the food many food banks that we uh, started working with before we built up our own. Yes, that's what basically what you have to do because um, that was one of the other things is I um, when I was living in in Washington, uh, I served on the board of a group called the Statewide. Poverty Action Network. We did a, a lot of um, helping low-income folks to advocate for themselves, you know, at this at the state capital level. And um, when I was on that board, I encouraged people to do more reading and to look around and see what else was going on in our our country because we were struggling with one particular issue, but the issue of poverty is so connected to uh, the new kind of economic agenda and uh, the austerity measures, and it's connected it's, it's to a lot of other things, you know, and, and sometimes I would get like that, sort of that deer in headlight look from people, because um, when you get involved in, in particular issues, sometimes you can, you can, your focus tends to just really narrow down to that one issue, and you don't realize that there's like 50 million other people who are either working on that same issue or, you know, or something, um, on a different level, but same problem. And, and if we all worked together more, had more of a, a broader view of the field, we could probably do a lot better. That's one. That's just one of many suggestions that I have for things that we could do to focus more on, on the solution. And also looking at what some of the bottom line sources of our problems are. And uh, I know some. And again, you know, there are different people who have focused on different parts of these issues, and there's plenty of writing and information out there for folks. So one of my things is what I say is that I'm most of what I talk about isn't stuff that I've come up with. You know, it's just that all this, all these solutions are all sort of just lying around on the floor. You know, <laughs> and yeah. uh, you just need somebody to pick them up. You know, and then start them or whatever. And uh, so that's basically what I've done. And, and um, it's come down to about three three bottom line uh, sources for, of, of our problem. And um, one of the first bottom line sources is our monetary system. That's, again, that's, a, that's an issue that there are certain people who that's their thing. You know, you can go and find out about it. But it's one of the bottom line things is our monetary system. Uh, we need to have access to our own funds as a nation. Every nation needs to have access to their own funds. And we really need to get rid of the central banking system so that we can, you know, produce our own money. Um, because so many things that we want, need, cost money. And uh, money has been used as a weapon against us at this point. The way yeah. the monetary system works, it's, I call it weaponized. And um, so in order to de-weaponize money, we've First of all, we need to have access to it for ourselves, and um, and I am of the mind that money really needs to have no value, which is kind of, you know, I know a lot of people may not be into that, but 
it seems to me that it's a real basic thing that if um, if, it, if it had no value in and of itself, then it would be able to flow freely throughout the economy to everyone who needs it. Um, and you'd be able to pay people what they're worth. It wouldn't end up causing you to lose money in order to do that. I mean, it's, of course, it's long and complicated, but it's a bottom line issue. Uh, it's one of those things that if we don't solve it, if we don't take care of that problem, then there's a multitude of problems down the pipeline that we'll never be able to take care of. We, one of the we, things I was talking to the, uh, the Green Party Economic uh, Committee about was uh, monetary reform. And one of the things that they lay heavily on uh, what we need to do as far as economic reform is just take back the Federal Reserve and put it back in the hands of the federal government. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, that's very, very similar to what I'm saying. And because money cannot have debt attached to it. And I think that that's something that we probably a lot, a lot more people agree on is yeah, is that money cannot have debt attached to it. It's impossible to use it if it has debt attached to it because you'll never be able to pay back the debt. And that's really primarily how money is made today is by uh, the banks issuing loans or the Fed issuing loans to the banks and the inequality that's sitting there for just uh, the, the banks being able to borrow at 0% interest and the lowest interest rate I've seen a lot of credit cards that you know most people have are, are 12 to 25 percent sometimes uh, as high as 35 percent late fees or other issues yeah you don't want to get caught not being able to pay your your credit card bill it's not you know most of my issues the things that I pick out are, are not things that you know I like have the most interest in or I think is important to me personally this is you know from just like just looking at the system you know you can see that this is this is the point where a lot of things have gone wrong, you know, for us people. And, um, and, and also that no matter what it is that you want, we just, we, we just can't get it if we don't have access to our own funds as a nation, you know. What's the point, you know, going out with your posters and your little signs asking someone else to, do, to, to give something up when they don't have to, you know. Then you don't yeah. have if you don't have the power or the leverage, then it's 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 pretty useless. So anyhow, for the monetary system, we need to get our money back. And as I said, I would really prefer if if money did not have its own value in and of itself. Um, so that it's, we can use it as a means a medium of exchange only, and that would really help to solve the uh, the other other bottom line problem. Which is the rule by the rich? I think one of the problems that we have nowadays is that that the economy is estimated based on you know the stock rates and all this other nonsense, but it doesn't actually translate to anything that's important for the people on the lower bottom rung. You know, they're bragging about unemployment being you know three and a half percent or whatever it is, but in our count, in in my county, Lawrence County, where you used to live, it's sitting just below six percent. Uh, but if we take a look at the actual employment participation rate uh, across the country. It's just barely over 60%, which tells me that, you know, 38% or greater of the population are not employed. Wow. Yes, yes. We get some pretty pretty scary numbers out there, and they're, and they're just getting worse. Um, they're not getting better. And, and even if they were getting better, better is, <laughs> it's, it's like it's who's better, you know? So... Well, back to that whole the whole idea of of this of us living in a system that is really still run run by the rich and and the wealthy, um, because you know their idea of better isn't necessarily 
our idea of better. Um, you know, like in Washington State, they were you know saying, oh, well, we've increased the number of jobs this month. You know, more people are employed. You know, but it was just because pe- more people were getting employed in McDonald's and in the service industry, um, or rolling off unemployment, which means that they were just just working poor. You know, it didn't it didn't mean what what it sounded like. And the the most important way to deal with the rule by the rich right now, well, there's a, a few different ways, but the most important one is the fact that, that a lot of the people in that, within that 0.1% who are causing most of the troubles are people who are actually also still breaking the law, you know. So, you know, there are the, the warmongers, people who are uh, involved in uh, propagandizing uh, the populace. These folks, well, they, they need to go to jail. They need to be um, taken, taken care of um, because if you don't kind of get rid of that whole power structure, once again, doesn't matter what kind of legislation we get. doesn't matter who gets elected president. Even if you won a few victories, um, they'll be taken away in the next election or whatever. Um, I've seen that happen over and over and over again. Or like with the Democrats, they just simply kept lowering the bar in terms of what they considered to be a victory um, over the years. That's what I found um, when, when I was doing advocacy work in Washington State and going to the Capitol all the time to talk to these legislators. Few, the few who were still on our side, they just kept doing less and less for us. And we were always so grateful and always so kind to them. But they really weren't doing diddly <laughs> to help yeah. the poor, you know. And, uh, you know, they would, like, save 400 kids, you know, keep them on the health care program, you know. But at the same time, you know, we've lost thousands of jobs and, and you know, profits were just draining out of the, out of the state. And, you know, the, the same system was in place. So as, as long as we have the system in place where these folks are just basically sucking all the money out of the economy, uh, we're not going to be able to make the changes that we want to make. I, I like to, um, when I was going to college in Olympia, Washington, during the time of the Bolivarian Revolution in, in, in Venezuela, I've been watching Venezuela for many, many many years, like the past 10 years, when you look and see what happened in that country, it gives you a really good idea about what it would be like here if we really did get it together to focus on the source of our problems. And so on my uh, video channel, I talk to people about things that they can do in order for us to um, to actually succeed, because at this point in the ballgame, we don't have any leverage. And protesting is not leverage. That's right. just giving you something to do so that you don't feel bad. <laughs> so, I know you mentioned your uh, or your video channel on YouTube. What's, what's that called? Oh, it's called Do Democracy. Do Democracy. Is there any I special... Democracy uh, is not just a noun, it's also a verb. Okay, so D-O democracy, not D-U-E democracy. Which yeah, is that yeah obvious, D-O. Obviously, we have uh, past due democracy that, you know, we haven't really achieved that completely, so. Yeah, past due. <laughs> yeah. That's a good way. <laughs> so so what, do you, what do you talk about on, on due democracy? And I, don't, I have a library there because the first thing that I talk to people about is what I call taking the pledge, you know, and that is deciding um, that you're going to take some time to uh, find out what the heck's going on. 
and, and that you want to do that because you really want to participate in your democracy. There are lots of videos for people to watch at their leisure. They can pick and choose um, so that they can get an understanding of you know, why, why we're involved in all these wars, what's going on with our media, and what's going on with our, our, you know, our foreign policy, and, and get a, a, a good historical understanding because I try to find videos that are not just new ones, but old ones too, so people can start to get a linear history going again. Because now all you get are like sound bites and headlines without any kind of a historical background to any of it. So the first thing is, is, is that. And then I talk to people about things that they can do so that we can actually be in a position uh, to stand up to the repercussions of actually really truly doing something in this country. So, you know, being, being ready for strikes or boycotts, being ready for any kind of backlashes or paybacks. Like, you know, they could, uh, they could interrupt with our power service. They could interrupt our, you know, our television service. There are lots of things that can happen to us. As, you know, like if you look at what happened in Venezuela, they had certain companies were, like, actually withholding food products from the market and they had keeping them in warehouses. And that was the one reason why they, they had some food shortages of some, some products like oil and flour it was because there were, there were companies within Venezuela that were actually refusing to put the food on the market. One of the things that I, I, I keep pointing to when people say, well, Venezuela was a, a socialist country, I say, well, no, look at the economic inequality. If it was truly a socialist country, we wouldn't see that massive divide in economics. Uh, of, of the poor and the, the very wealthy there in, in Venezuela. See, that, was a rev that was a revolution of democracy. You know, that was like, it was so close to what we actually had here in America. It's not funny, you know, because the people actually elected the person that they actually wanted, and they actually all got together, and in, in little meetings, they wrote their own constitution. And this is what, was put down and destroyed by the, you know, by the, the ruling classes. No, it was, you know, the exact opposite. It was a democratic um, revolution that just got crushed. That's what happened. So uh, I actually talked to people about, look, if you could plant a garden, do it. Do it now. Yes, like you were saying before, going to your food banks and, and making sure that they are in good, good order and that, um, we have a means for help. We have a means for helping each other out. And in Venezuela, you know, they they um, they work, you know, in little small groups, you know, in, in the barrios, and uh, so that they're well organized. And so they were organized to do what they could to make up for the food shortages because they were organized and they knew what was going on. Because um, if people don't actually know what's going on, it's really you can't protect yourself. You can't do anything to help yourself. If you don't really know, you know, who's out to get you, so to speak, you know. <laughs> yeah. So, um, one of the things I've said is that, you know, yeah. one of the, one of the things I've said is that us poor people mm -hmm. are always going to be able to survive because we have a lot of those skills that uh, right. the wealthy people don't have. We know how to plant stuff and grow it and, and be able to eat out of a garden for three or to six months at a time if we need to. Yeah. Another one of the problems oh. that Venezuela had is they didn't diversify their economy when they were doing so well with uh, the price of oil, and mm -hmm. now it's a, a third of it, of what it was at the height. And because they didn't diversify their uh, economy at that time, that's why it's having the issues it's having now, 
that in addition to the economic inequality that was already existing before the socialist revolution there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was, uh, that was pointed, has been pointed out as a mistake that that was made. It was they didn't diversify um, when they should have. And um, some people said that they actually didn't go socialist enough. But um, it was, it's like, you know, if the, if the ruling elite wants to take you out, they will take you out. So we have to be ready for that. Um, also, I uh, have some solutions for uh, the whole idea of voting and, and our elected officials and things. And I, you had talked about uh, nonprofit organizations earlier. I already think that we should encourage more people from the nonprofit sector to run for office because as far as I'm concerned, you know, being in a political office is a social service position. And we've never looked at it like that, but I think that we should. And, um, and that uh, I've been to trainings for people who want to run for office, and they've always been really rather shallow, you know, and not very, not very deep. And I think that we need to be, do different kinds of trainings for uh, people who want to run for office. So not only do they learn more about their local region that they're going to be serving, but also to, take a, you know, to be talking about what it actually means to be a public servant and really kind of just going over that with people um, so that they go to Washington with a, a different attitude. And, uh, and I think that it would really help if we encouraged people who were already in social service type industry to, to run because uh, yeah. that's their talent and their gift and their and, ability. Yeah, and you a know, lot of these people not who lawyers. are active. <laughs> Why do we have lawyers? <laughs> plenty of lawyers. I, th I think a, a lot of people who are active with uh, nonprofits, especially in, in communities that are in, in deep need, have a better understanding what the community needs. Is instead of you know a band aid, they will actually have more ideas about the long term fixes as opposed to the quick fix of you know let's give this community twenty thousand dollars for a drug treatment center. Well, that doesn't address the systemic issues of drug abuse that are in that system right. or in that community because of unemployment and poverty and all sorts of other issues. That's right, and a lot of people in the nonprofit you know world, they they have looked deeply into these issues and they really know what they know best better best what to do. Um, the other thing is that we need to establish something that I call a voter database, um, so the place where voters can go to get briefed on different, all the different issues that are going on and so that they can weigh in on them. And that this voter database would be something that our, our representatives in government would be required to use. There's all kinds of ways of tracking whether or not somebody is using a database or not. So that's not a problem. You know, we have the technology to do it. But I think it's really important. And um, when I ask people to take the pledge, you know, we're talking about looking at two hours a week that you use um, to do this, to do your, democ your, democrat your democracy work. And, um, and I think that people should get a tax credit for participating and doing their two hours a week. And it's just, it's like we need to do some sort of lifestyle cultural changes if we really want to be a democracy. Um, we have to have some actual real life systems in place so that we actually can be a functioning democracy. And of course, once, like I said, none of this gets to happen if we don't deal with the people who are strictly opposed. And it's very possible to deal with those folks because they're breaking the law continually. They're breaking yeah. international laws. They're breaking environmental laws. 
the ones who are causing the problems are, you know, are, are the fascists, and they, they get to go to jail. They qualify. <laughs> yeah, one of the things I was talking to Tim about earlier today was uh, I forget which uh, Grecian uh, civilization it was, but they had a, it was like a, a giant bowl of white beads and one black bead, and people would draw the beads, and whoever drew the black bead would be the representative in government. And it was something that nobody wanted to do because they had, you know, to maintain their own household and all this other stuff. So it was less less a thing of prestige and more of a thing to, of, you know, it's your actual mm-hmm. duty. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and it's <laughs> I, I watch a lot of Korean dramas and um, I love them because, uh, especially the ones um, from when they they do things from the past because uh, they're always they're always involved in politics, you know, with the king and the emperor and then all of the guys around surrounding them and it's just there's always these power power plays and power politics and and it's so funny because it it things haven't really changed that that much <laughs> and we're all still sitting here talking about the power of the people you know um it just it just it hasn't happened yet so <laughs> i think the best that i can do right now is to keep working on talking about the the solution um and just putting that next brick in place. And I don't know if people will will, will turn towards that or not. Um, right now it seems the left is still very much focused on their little individual issues, which is deadly for us, <laughs> you know. Yeah. At this point it's absolutely deadly. When I was working with the Green Party, I was just so amazed at how, how focused people can be around protesting things. And it's like... I just don't know. It doesn't make any sense to me. You you can't go to a, a multinational corporation and go stand in front of one of their offices somewhere and expect for them to, what, do you think they're going to like, oh, my gosh, oh, no, there's protesters. You know, what shall we do? The response yeah, is generally fairly simple. They call the cops. Yeah, or they call, they call their, they send their, it used to be when I was doing uh, anti-nuclear work, they'd always send their public relations person down, you know? <laughs> Yeah. And, and they're the worst. <laughs> they're the absolute worst. You know, they, they would always send their public relations people down. And, and, and uh, it's just, I'm tired of that. I don't think anybody, I just think we need to start focusing on, on taking care of the problem because we know what the problem is. We know what we want to do in terms of a sustainable economy. And we can do that without hurting people you know, without messing with people's businesses, you know, it, it's just a, it won't cause a crisis as long as we are able to get these, these people, these, these fascist neocon, whatever you want to call them, these warmongers off the streets. We have to get them off the streets because they're always the ones who are there sort of undermining every good effort that you ever, you know, you ever see. Yeah. Yeah, and, and political yeah. political correctness goes the way for the conservative when they use the word death tax instead of inheritance tax, which you know inheritance is the greatest transfer of wealth that's unearned uh, of any uh, system that we have in the United States. Yeah, yeah. I I love George Lakoff. Yes. He, yeah. Um, yeah. He did some really great writing about about language. Yeah, that's why I like I try to come up with new words when I can. 
like anti-social marketing. <laughs> but yeah, I like to try to come up with new words whenever I can so that, because it is a really good way of sort of taking back the, uh, the narrative. And I try to never use a lot of the buzzwords that are coming out of the media. Because when you do that, you're just reinforcing. Which is the other other thing I think that would really help right now is I think it's time to, um, well, I call it, it's the three C's plus one. There's cooperation, coordination, and collaboration between progressive groups, nonprofit groups. And then there's another C, which is consolidation. I think it would be really cool if we could consolidate some of our alternative media so that perhaps we can get, get a toehold somewhere in our media system. Um, I think it needs, to, it needs to get out to more people. We could do it, so I think that that would be another thing, really important thing that would help us, which is sort of a bottom line thing, is to get our, uh, consolidate some of our, our media so that it's getting out to more people. We've got enough uh, for uh, everything. It's just time to start wrapping. Okay, great. If that's fine with you. Okay. So the first thing I'm going to ask you is, how do you feel about this so far? How do I feel about what? How do you feel about the podcast? Oh, I think it was great. Yeah, we had a lot to talk about. I could I could talk more, <laughs> but um, well, but this is fine. Yeah. Um. Due to limited format, you know, we could talk for hours and hours, but you know, we have to have to cut it off at some point. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, and I just, I, I just wanted to say that I think you're doing a really good job with your podcast. They're, you know, you can listen to them. They're listenable, whatever. You know, <laughs> you're doing yeah. a good job. I appreciate and it. Then, so, so the next question is, uh, will you vote in 2020? Yes, I will. And the second part of that question is an ego stroke. Would you vote for me if I'm on the ballot? If you were on the ballot. Yeah, yes. I think I would. I like Great. to give my vote to people who I think are, you know, earned it or deserve it. Uh, so then we move on to what are your what are your hopes now for the future? Oh, I just hope that I can um, spend more time working on my uh, my uh, YouTube channel. Uh, I don't really have any other big ones. <laughs> so, Always so hoping you... that my health will stay 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 with me. <laughs> then what are your ambitions beyond your hopes? What do you What do you want to achieve? Oh. Still there? Oh yeah, I'm thinking. <laughs> <laughs> I think I just want to I want to to remain healthy, and I want to um, to uh, continue to uh, be able to talk about solutions. Great. And uh, we always end the podcast with the questions from you to me. Do you have any questions of, to me? Um. Let me see. I was trying to think of a question. <laughs> um, Chad really surprised me uh, asking me about uh, to go deep uh, at the end of the podcast. He asked me to go deep into uh, Syria. So, but it doesn't have to be that heavy. It could be light, you know, uh, what kind of socks you wearing or, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess I was wondering if you were going to, if you think maybe you're going to continue, if you're going to, you're, are you going to continue in politics and continue to try to run for office? Uh, this year has taught me some valuable lessons. I don't know. Uh, I, I'm definitely going to be politically active. Uh, since my first time running in 2010, people have told me, you know, you need to run for mayor or county commissioner or you know township trustee or something like that. Something you can easily win and then build up. Uh, you know more more of a base to to be able to achieve the larger runs uh so that you know for county commissioner and township trustee i could run as an independent and and manage it fairly easily mm -hmm. not have to 
worry about uh, party affiliation. So if I do, that might be my next step. Tim, my mm -hmm. treasurer, has discussed that, uh, you know, maybe we need to go after Bill Johnson again because he's been, our, our congressman has just been bending over left and right for Trump and the uh, political elite's agenda to ruin our economy by giving away all of our tax dollars to corporations. So it, it, yeah. I see it as wide open right now. Um yeah. yeah, I don't know what form it will take, uh, but we'll have to get through this uh, presidential run and see how that goes. So what's the timeline for that? At what point? Uh, to make my final decision about uh, finishing the uh, campaign uh -huh. for president. Uh, well, they have the uh, Green Party convention in July in Detroit. You know, Chad Wilson, one of our other Green Party candidates, and I are going to have a cannabis coalition meeting uh, because Michigan mm -hmm. has cheap and legal um, marijuana. So we'll be ha uh, having one or two uh, burnouts, as it were, uh, at the at the uh, national convention. But uh, you know, beyond that, uh, I don't think the national convention will will tell me you know whether I should actually continue on uh, or not. Mhm, mm mhm. Okay, so we'll see. Well, I'm real proud of you, Dennis. You uh, hang in there. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you. This, uh, okay. this is Sylvia Arthur. She's with me on my podcast. I'm Dennis Lambert, and I'm running for president. If you want some more information about my campaign, my website is www.dlpotus2020.com. Facebook is Facebook DLPOTUS2020. Twitter is DLPOTUS2020. And Sylvia's YouTube page is Do Democracy. Thanks for tuning in. No spoilers. Recording has started.